Uh, Before I go to our passage uh, that we're going to look at this morning, I want to read the first four verses from the Gospel of Luke uh, to remind us what is going on in in this book. Uh, Luke is a companion of Paul. Uh, He was not one of the disciples, but he is uh, one of the traveling companions um, who is up close with them, um, who has been um, very influential in Paul's ministry and the planning of churches and all this. Um, And he he says this, he said, "...inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught." And so we see what Luke is about here is he is about, um, he is writing this gospel with a particular purpose that is not just giving information for the curious, uh, but he is writing so that um, people reading it could have certainty that Jesus is who he says he is, um, that he is somebody worthy of putting our life and our hope in. Um, and he is also writing to you know, this patron, Theophilus, most excellent Theophilus, as I like to call him, um, who has been around for some time, and he has been believing. And so that this, by writing this account, that there is a, um, a reassuring and a confirming of these things, uh, perhaps to believe for the first time, but to also bolster the faith of the people of God. Um, that, that's Luke's agenda. And we're going to see this come out um, in the passage that uh, we're going to look at this morning. Uh, just as a reminder, we're, we're looking at chapter 3, verses um, 21 through the end of chapter 3. Uh, we skipped chapters 1 and 2, and we're going to come back to them in the season of Advent. But this is the section beginning Jesus' ministry. Um, and what happened in chapters 1 and 2 is we had the account of the birth of John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus. Um, And what we just saw last time was the ministry of John the Baptist and where he is announcing the final, uh, at last, the coming of the kingdom of God, the coming of the Messiah. And he is encouraging the people of God to prepare themselves, but to prepare themselves in a particular way by being baptized for repentance of sins, of acknowledging the need for a Savior, and then of letting that transform uh, the heart, that this is not just... A ceremonial exercise, but the desire that God has had for his people from the beginning is that they would have new hearts, that they would be changed from the inside out to reflect uh, God and his goodness to all peoples. And so we're kind of left with the question, what now? So we've prepared, we've prepared for the Savior to come, and at last we, we get the public introduction, uh, even though we've already seen him as a kid, we get the beginning of Jesus' ministry. The main character is going to be introduced to us this this morning. So I'm going to read it. Um, You'll notice that most of this is a genealogy uh, with a lot of funny names. Uh, Academic deans who have to do graduations actually have it easy. I might not pronounce these right, um, but uh, we're going to get through it uh, either way. This is God's word. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus all had been baptized and was praying, the heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him bodily in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, and with you I am well pleased. 
Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Elsi, the son of Nagai, the son of Maoth, the son of Mattathias, the son of Semain, the son of Josek, the son of Jodah, the son of Joannan, the son of Resha, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adi, the son of Kosam, the son of Elmadam, the son of Er, the son of Joshua, the son of Eleazar, the son of Jorim, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Melia, the son of Mena, the son of Mattatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salah, the son of Nashon, the son of Aminadab, the son of Admin, the son of Arni, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Zerug, the son of Ru, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalil, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, and the son of God. Now, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we humbly ask that you would teach us through your word this morning, that you would help my words be true, uh, that you would open up all of our hearts, that we might receive what you have for us. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I got a little tiff with Lauren this week over a painting. Uh, not, not a big thing, just a little bit of a tiff, uh, because I was doing some work in our aquarium, and I took the lid off and leaned it up against the painting in, that was right behind it, you know, just thinking it's laying on there. And Lauren came in and said, why is that on the painting? Like, look, it's scratching the painting. Um, and so I looked, and sure enough, that there was a little indention and a scratch mark over here on the corner of this painting. Um, and she said, I, don't you know that this is a hand-painted painting? Like, this is something that's really, really special. Um, and I knew it looked pretty, um, but the thing about paintings is they're, um, not all of them are genuine. Uh, there are so many prints and there are so many copies everywhere. You can, someone can paint some, a masterpiece and you can make thousands and thousands of copies. Um, and, um, I just kind of assume that's what it was, uh, that this was just, a print of a big painting, and she informed me that no, not as not only is this one hand painted, but all sixty other paintings in our house are also hand painted. So don't lean anything up against them either. Um, but to my perspective, um, because of the number, I didn't have very good criteria to evaluate uh, the validity of this painting. Is this something that's that's really worth something that's a lot, or is this something that you know can be knocked around and is straw material and that kind of thing. Because of the way it was leaning, because of the way it was painting, it was actually scratchable. Um, That it wouldn't be if it was just a print. Um, Lauren, we have all these paintings because Lauren, one of her main hobbies is to go through secondhand stores and thrift stores and find stuff that are really valuable that people have um, gotten rid of. Um, And 
when you walk in there is totally overwhelming to me too because I can't differentiate the one from the other. They're just, they all look impressive for a little while. Um, but then you come to find out that a lot of this is just junk that people gave away. Um, but when you learn a little bit, there are just some clues you can tell to, to, to validate um, whether these paintings are the real thing or they're not. There are some real things in a sea of a lot of things that are not real things. Uh, this is a common reality of life. This is an issue with painting. This is an issue with politicians. We're all trying to evaluate whether they're the real thing, whether we, there are ways we can validate the things they're saying or they're persons. Uh, we are all looking for criteria to evaluate people's lives that they post online. Like, is this something that is actually real of this people? Like, that I should aspire to and get behind? Or is this all just a front um, that's posted on here? Uh, we're looking for validations from people in our marriages and dating uh, that is still the real thing. And that this isn't just um, um, something that we're here uh, just for the sake of it. Um, and so the implication is in life with all the options that we have that we need some kind of validation that is real before we can appreciate it and before we can really commit. And there's a, another effect to that is the amount of time that we spent trying to evaluate other people and validate them, uh, val- validate their stuff. There's always that voice in the back of our head too, knowing that the same is probably coming towards us, the same that we are giving uh, towards other people. Validation is a big deal. Uh, some one of the deep um, desires of our hearts uh, to feel like um, we are the real deal. We want people to think we are. We want the security that comes from that. And in a weird way, it might you know we, you can see right on the surface that you know the validation that God gives to His Son here in this wonderful statement: "You're my beloved Son. With you, I'm well pleased." But this whole section is part of Luke's agenda that he is trying to get our attention. He's trying to get our attention between, in the midst of all kinds of other voices, all kinds of other Messiah-type things uh, that we could put our trust in, hope in, that's going to be the key, the solution to make the world right, um, that seems crazy. And he wants us to pay attention to this guy. And he's going to great lengths to actually demonstrate the validity of Jesus, uh, that he is worth uh, following, that he is worth throwing in all of our chips um, um, with. And so there's two things here. I'm going to unpack for us, uh, Jesus, uh, the validity of his identity, uh, how Luke is trying to validate that for us as readers and what that means. And then we're just going to look at a few uh, applications of what that means for us, um, our own validation, um, our own identity, those kinds of things. Uh, so first, uh, we'll, we're just going to focus on Jesus as he's being introduced here. And this voice from God is, this is actually the last voice of a lot of different eyewitness testimonies that have been building um, throughout this letter that are culminating in, in this moment to really introduce Jesus to us as something special. Uh, what we skipped over and we'll come back to in chapter 1 is that um, the angel Gabriel came to Zechariah and Elizabeth and announced to them that they were going to have a child and this child was going to be John and he was going to prepare the way uh, for the Lord to come. So we have Gabriel as a witness to things, uh, to the things that are going to come, um, that, that God is on the move, uh, that his man is coming. 
And we also have Zechariah and Elizabeth who then, um, in the temple and in their communities, they proclaimed what they had seen uh, to the crowds. So lots and lots of people heard uh, their eyewitness testimony. Uh, You had Joseph and Mary. Uh, Again, the angel Gabriel came to Mary in a vision and told her that she's going to be um, immaculately conceived um, by the Holy Spirit um, and that this is going to be um, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Um, And so, again, we have Gabriel as an eyewitness and we have Mary and Joseph uh, at the same time. We have John. The word of the Lord comes to John in the wilderness and he has just borne testimony to this. And now we are coming to this point where Jesus is being introduced and God himself, um, in an audible voice, it's kind of hard to tell who could hear it and who couldn't hear it, but is giving a, an ultimate validation that this is my son. This is the real deal. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And so with all these witnesses that Luke is trying to build up a case to this point, that amongst all the other competitors, that this is someone that we should really pay attention to, that this is somebody who is really, really special. And I do want to say, and just as an aside, um, along with what Luke is trying to do to encourage our faith, this is something that is really unique about Christianity, and that Jesus could have come on the scene. He could have been like uh, the other prophets of his day. Um, He could have been a very winsome guy. Um, He could have gathered a big crowd to himself, um, had the ability to speak, um, be persuasive, um, and he would have been like all of the others. And it could have easily seemed like this was his good idea uh, than his gifts that he came up with. But what we see here is a movement of God in a whole bunch of people and in different communities and in different crowds that are actually uh, bearing witness that God is on the move. And they're corroborating each other's witnesses. That there is a case with all kinds of witnesses that is being built um, to lend to the validity that this guy is who he says he is. And so when this letter is received then in the early church, it's coming in the context of all kinds of people um, who had testimony to this stuff that it is true. And so I just want to say that this is not like a silver bullet to say that this is proved, like this is Jesus who he is, but this is part of the case that Luke is trying to communicate to us, that the the eyewitness nature um, of how the faith has been communicated, the number of different witnesses that are involved, um, this is is a unique thing and is a very important thing um, that we are being led to see. So that aside, uh, let me just talk about here um, um, what, God is, what God is doing. Um, well, before that, I have to say a word about this genealogy, since the whole thing is genealogy. Um, this is another way that, this, that, um, that Jesus is part of this case, that Jesus is who he says he is. Um, so the painstaking records that he is going through to demonstrate that this is the Son of God are pretty crazy. Uh, if you compare this genealogy with Matthew, then uh, they're different. Um, and there are several explanations that are very plausible why that might be. Um, genealogies are tough. If you try to trace one line, you could go any number of directions in a family tree. Um, and records are kind of sparse um, at this time. So I don't know exactly why that is the case, um, but... There, I just wanted to mention that in case you're curious, and we could talk about that later, why that's the case. But the emphasis here is that this is um, where Matthew stops in Abraham. 
um, showing that he is the heir of David, then Luke is going all the way back to Adam. That long time that we spent here showing that this is not just a Jewish thing, uh, but this is actually the Son of God. This goes back even before Adam, before the first person. This is the hope for all people everywhere. Uh, really important God. All right, so that being said, so this, let me, I want to talk about this validation. So he is, you have the, this witness testimony that Jesus is who he says he is, um, that he's the Son of God, um, the Savior that's to come, the long expected Savior. Um, we have records from history, uh, all kinds of things. Uh, but the, what God says here is really special. Um, and that he is affirming Jesus is that um, in his worthiness of being the Son of God, um, to take away the sins of the world, he, he gives it in, in this really remarkable, we learn something special about Jesus, and that is the affection uh, that is between the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Um, he says that when Jesus comes, that this is, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Uh, that there is an established relationship here with no dissonance. Um, this is a perfect communion. There is no baggage here. There's no history. Um, that there is actually delight um, in being together. That this is, a, this, is, this is the precious son of God. And what Jesus is about to do, the ministry that he is about to take up, that they are so unified in this work um, that it can be said that they are all undertaking this together. We see the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit both revealed here at the same time in a wonderful unity um, that just shows the specialness of relationship that Jesus uh, enjoys um, with the Father. Uh, So that he is uniquely able... Uh, He has a unique power and he has a unique access uh, to the Father that nobody else uh, can have. But with that, there's another element of this validation that's not this. So there's all this external validation, but there's another point I wanted to bring up about this. And that think about what Jesus is doing. When he is accepting a baptism for the forgiveness of sins that John had just uh, announced. And we might say, wait a minute. Uh, Jesus, the sinless one, why does he have to be baptized? Why does he have to be cleansed um, in order that he can undertake um, this work? Um, And it does not mean that Jesus needed cleansing. It doesn't mean that he needed it for that point. But it's showing that he's so far identified with the people that he is coming to serve, that he is getting in with them in every way. He is born in the same line, like he is all this son of. He is in with everybody that way. He receives the sign um, of the need of cleansing and redemption. He identifies so far that the consequences of what that cleansing will mean, he is going to end up taking on himself. And that his way of dealing with sin is not going to be a far, but is going to be right smack in the middle of all of the mess. He takes all of that, all the relational discord, all of the fallout, on himself that he did not deserve to the point where the consequences will be his. He will share in those just as much as he will share in the life. So we see here we have a great affirmation of Jesus' validity as the Son of God, uh, the affirmation of relationship, a special relationship we have with the Father. And then we have this um, self-validation that Jesus is willing to accept even the hardest things. He is willing to take up the hardest work, to take the hardest consequences in order 
to accomplish what he is to do. He has all of the pieces um, in place in order to bring out redemption for um, the people. But that's Jesus. So all of this has been about Jesus, and it's heavily that way because he's being introduced as a character here. But what does that mean for us? Uh, what, what is it, how does this apply to us um, and how we think about ourselves? There's, if you'll look at Galatians 4, 6, uh, you don't have to turn there. Um, but it gives some un- the, language of how, um, the language of how the Bible talks about our salvation um, is familiar, familial language there. It says that for those that are saved, um, that we have been given the spirit of God's son. As the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Christ. Um, and he, is, he has that title in separate different places. And the spirit is given to us and the spirit inside of us cries out, Abba, Father. He is a witness um, to us and for us of a new kind of familial relationship. And how does that work? In receiving the baptism, in receiving the consequences of what, um, of what we deserved, and of dying and raising again, then we have uh, how we explain the gospel, which is called the great exchange. Uh, that he took on our own sin, he took on our own brokenness, our own, um, our own finiteness, fallenness in every way that is possible, and he bore the consequences for that and traded us for himself, for his own righteousness. But in doing that, how that is described is that he actually gives us his own spirit. He gives us the spirit of Christ, the same spirit that was affirmed in this kind of relationship with the Father. And that this spirit is a seal that because of what Christ did, uh, that we don't exist outside of the Trinity, but we are actually right in the middle of it. That we, sinful though we are, we get to enjoy a new kind of relationship that is not marred by sin anymore. That there is no awkwardness like when we come into the throne room together. Uh, But there is a perfect harmony and there is a wonderful delight. And it is no accident here in our passage that when this voice is said of Jesus, it is when the Holy Spirit comes down and rests upon him. Then God makes this declaration that this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And so for us, being recipients of Christ's gift, when we are given the Spirit, the seal of our redemption, it has the same effect of God saying the same about us. Is that this is my son, this is my daughter, not just whom I have forgiven and who I tolerate, but this is my son and this is my daughter in whom I am well pleased, in whom I delight, in whom I love to be around and to have close. My father-in-law has a great picture of what delight means. I want you to really think about, um, and you can do this this week on your own or other people, the difference between forgiveness and delight. Both of those are part of the gospel. You can forgive somebody and there be much distance between the two. Uh, My father-in-law is a very expressive guy. Um, Every time my wife answers the phone, he says, is this my daughter and whom I love? Every single time. I remember throwing the football in front of his front yard, just tossing it around, um, and um, he just came out, and I would catch it and throw it and be like, man, look at that. That was awesome. And I'm very average at playing football. Um, but it's like this delight is something special. And when we see who Jesus is and who he is with the Father, and then we see the gift of the Holy Spirit to us that 
this is, this is what we have. We enjoy this kind of relationship with, Father, with our Father, one of delight, who brings us close. And this doesn't mean that he doesn't discipline those he loves. It says he disciplines those that he loves and he brings us to repentance. But he does it for a fundamentally different reason than to punish us and to put us into our place. It is because he is so excited about us, who we are and who we can be and who he is making us to be, that he is willing to do it. And I want to make a direct application here to parenting, um, uh, which is a little bit obvious. Any parent has to discipline our children, that they have to know the consequences of what it is like um, to uh, harm other people, the harm that they can bring um, to the world and to those around us. But when we discipline our children, it should never come with relational distance if we are disciplining in the name of Jesus, because that is not how Jesus treats us. It is always out of love, and it is always drawing them close and near to us, affirming and validating that this is a relationship in which I delight. And that's what um, we do that because um, that's the gift that we've been given um, by our our own Father, by Jesus. Uh, A wonderful validation of our adoption uh, with Christ. Uh, just to last here, a couple things. There are all kinds of voices that want to, that are going to speak to us. Um, there are voices of performance um, that want to say um, um, what we are worth, whether we're valid or not, um, in any kind of sphere. The more skeptical we are of other people, the more we criticize and doubt other people, then probably the more we do so to ourselves. Um, I included in here in the front of the worship folder this quote from... William Cowper, who was a hymn writer, who struggled mightily with depression, who was institutionalized at more than one point. And he says this, um, it is possible, let me get it, I don't do it, it is possible to be a child of God without consciousness of the blessing, and to have title to a crown, and yet feel to be immured in the depths of a dungeon. The voices inside um, can give us uh, a different opinion on whether we're valid people or not, valid members of the people of God, uh, than what is true. But what we have with the Holy Spirit is an external testimony that the Spirit testifies with us that we are a beloved son and daughter in whom God is well pleased. And that can be the case despite uh, what we feel inside. Last thing here. I want to make an application to Jesus's Um, acceptance of his own self-validation of being willing to accept this work um, uh, to do the hard things in order to um, redeem his people. I just, I wanted to do this because I'm noticing that we're in a really strange time now with this. We're in the middle of a pandemic, um, but we have, all we have to compare it to are things like the Spanish flu or the Black Death or something like that. And it feels kind of different. Uh, we are in a testing period. Like, can we do, could we do hard things? Like, if this was the Spanish flu, uh, could I still, you know, function uh, in that circumstance? Uh, I think some of the hardship we're in is kind of, uh, ask, we're asking these questions. Um, there's, you know, there's a whole Instagram tag of, I can do hard things. 
um, there's a this 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 certain doubt that can come that can come into us that um, of whether we have the stuff um, or not uh, to do hard things to survive and to thrive under the hardest circumstances. Um, and what we have here is that sometimes God asks us to do hard things. He asks us to do things that are beyond um, what we can do. But the good news with Jesus uh, kind of stood out to me this week and his acceptance of this, his willingness to do it for us, is that our validation of what kind of people we are it isn't, doesn't come from how well we handle the stress. It doesn't come from whether you could have been a stand-up Christian in the Spanish flu uh, when things were really, really bad, um, much less now uh, during the coronavirus. Um, our validation comes from Christ because Christ came to do what we could not do and to do it for us. But the promise with this is that as we do these hard things, we do it with him and we do it in his spirit. We do it with our Father who delights in us and who can only do, give us good things. He is the one who suffered on our behalf. He is the one who did the hard things. And in His Spirit is with us. He will never leave us. That will never change. His faithfulness uh, spreads to the clouds. Uh, it can never end. So this, what I want you to do is, uh, I think the two things we're bringing away from this passage that you can reflect on this week... Uh, this, this passage is asking us to pay attention to who Jesus is. Uh, whether for the first time or for a long time, it's asking us to stop uh, looking at the world around us, all the solutions there are for life and love and happiness, and to really consider who Jesus is. Um, to consider um, his way, his testimony, uh, his version of the problems and his solution. Uh, Luke is encouraging us anew to pay attention. But in the paying attention... He is especially asking us to consider what is the Lord's attitude towards you um, in Christ and in his spirit. And how does that change how you go about these hard things that we're all going through right now? Um, I think that's two things we can remember, and I would commend you those to to draw close to the Lord and reflect on uh, this week. Um, So as we say that, I'm going to stop there and let's draw close to him now um, and ask that he would help us as we do that. Father, thank you for the gift of your spirit. Thank you for Christ, uh, that he is the real deal, uh, that he is able to hold us and to uh, guide us through in even the darkest times. Um, Thank you for the message of the gospel and the wonderful uh, proclamation of validation uh, that you have given us in Christ. Would you be with your people as we struggle with that this week? Would you give us new hope? Um, Would you um, open up our eyes to see that you are the true solution? And would you soften our hearts that we might accept it um, and turn to you anew? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.